Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 345 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get right into our conversation after a word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first, and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. Did you know that February is American Heart Month? We're celebrating by bringing awareness to cardiovascular health disparities, especially those that impact Black women. Joining me for this conversation is Dr. Jane Morgan, cardiologist and the executive director of the COVID Task Force at the Piedmont Healthcare Corporation in Atlanta. In addition to being published in the areas of congenital heart disease and interventional cardiology, Dr. Morgan currently serves as a board member of the National Diversity and Inclusion Team at the American Heart Association. During our conversation, Dr. Morgan explains what it means to have a healthy heart, 
How race and gender play a part in the healthcare system's treatment of heart-related issues, and what Black women should be aware of to preserve healthy hearts for a lifetime. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share with us on social media using the hashtag TBGInSession. Or join us over in the sister circle to talk more about the episode. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Morgan. I am really pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So can you walk me through what a typical, if there is a typical day for you, what does that look like as a cardiologist? (laughs) Wow, that's a surprise question. So a typical day for a cardiologist versus a typical day for Dr. Jane Morgan are completely two distinct things. I am a cardiologist. I'm a formally trained cardiologist have spent quite a few years of my career in research, really hard R&D research at Abbott, which is AbbV now, and Salve, and then also leading large clinical trial sites, including where I'm working now at Piedmont Healthcare, actually came here to lead the cardiovascular research program, and then strategy across all of research. So that's clinical trials and enrolling patients in clinical trials. And so that is somewhat of a different lens of cardiology and medicine than other doctors who are more patient-facing and are actually managing and seeing patients each day. I'm on the other side of that, providing the tools that they will need to continue to manage them better and better and better. So these tools that will go before the FDA and get approval such that all physicians who are treating patients can treat their patients to the top of evidence-based medicine. And so I therefore straddle the line, so to speak, on one side with patient facing and then the other side, the back end behind the curtain, the behind the curtain part that people don't see. How do the drugs get there? How do the pharmaceuticals get there? How do our therapeutics get there? How do our devices get there? How do we use them? There's a whole process before we enter the doctor's office, before we enter hospitals and look at all of those machines, all of that equipment, all of the algorithms, all of the processes, all of the medications that will be recommended. There's a process beforehand. So I've got a strong foothold in that part as well. Got it. Thank you so much for that. So what does it mean medically for us to have a healthy heart? (sighs) A loaded question. So ultimately, when we talk about physically, let's talk about physically a healthy heart. We talk about something called an ejection fraction. So this is how we measure how strong your heart is pumping. Generally, a normal ejection fraction is 60%. So you might think it's 100%, but it's not. Ejection fraction is measured from zero to 60. So normal is 60%. And maybe you can drop down in a 50% range, but generally it's around 60%, probably not much lower than 55%. So that maybe would be a healthy heart with regard to its function, its pumping. And then we've got arteries that feed the heart. And these arteries need to be open, what we call being patent. They need to have good blood flow, not have any blockages with plaques that can be caused by atherosclerosis. You've probably heard that term atherosclerosis, which is caused by cholesterol buildup and fat things like that over a lifetime in our bodies that blocks the blood flow and also blood clots. And so when you get these blockages in those arteries that are feeding the heart, that's what we know 
of as a heart attack. And then probably the third thing I would think of as a healthy heart would be electrical activity of the heart that the heart is beating in a normal way, has normal electrical impulses, and you're not having any type of arrhythmias. So that means an irregular heart rhythm. And so perhaps at a high level, those are three big buckets of what I would consider a healthy heart physically. Good electrical activity, open arteries, and good heart function. Got it. And so would the converse of those be not having good heart health? I would say the opposite of any one of those three. So you don't have to have all three, any one of them. And then you have some heart issues and you probably are being seen by a cardiologist and depending on how severe they are will depend on how they're managed and to what degree of management is required. But certainly not all three, any one of those three. And these are big, broad categories, I'm going to admit. These are large buckets, just to make it easy to understand, these are big three large buckets, but any of those buckets, if they require any type of intervention, it does mean that you have some negative impact of your heart. Doesn't mean that it's lifelong, but it does mean that it probably requires some attention. So what kinds of factors, Dr. Morgan, actually impact our heart health? When we look at heart health, a couple of things that we think about with regard to factors always is lifestyle how are we kind of living our lives? Because a lot of things that we do at a younger age actually come back to either fortify us or haunt us later. It's like skin cancer in that way. We may not think about it that way, but the amount of sun exposure and sunburns that you may have received growing up can impact the risk of you developing skin cancer later, even if you're wearing skin block every single day of your adult life, it can be related to that exposure when you are in your developing years and when you're in younger years. And that's the same thing for heart disease. And so we want to be able to watch our weight, make certain our weight is in a healthy range because we know that elevated weight increases your risk of a number of things increases your risk of high blood pressure. High blood pressure is a risk factor for heart disease. Increases your risk for cholesterol. Cholesterol is a risk factor for heart disease. Increases your risk of diabetes. Diabetes is a risk factor for heart disease. And then it also creates something called a chronic inflammatory state in your body. And we also now know that inflammation is a risk factor for heart disease, not just heart disease, but for cancer, for arthritis, and for a number of other chronic medical conditions in our body. The state of being obese creates enough stress on the body that it increases that state of inflammatory response. And the body being in a state of chronic inflammation as opposed to acute inflammation, where we respond to trauma and then we heal and it goes down. We respond to an incident with inflammatory processes, then it heals and it goes down. With obesity, then that inflammatory state always remains. And we understand now that is toxic to the body. The duration of obesity over time can increase your risk of heart disease, as well as increase your risk of a number of other medical conditions. So that's part of a healthy lifestyle. The other thing to think about is your mental health. It does have a lot to play in regard to your heart health and with regard to the social interaction 
that people have. And we've seen that now as we're coming out of COVID, that isolation and loneliness are also related to heart disease. And the one that is most closely related, they both are related, but the one that is most closely related is loneliness. And loneliness may be hard to identify because lonely people may actually be surrounded by tons of people and have a lot of interactions, but not feel any connection and not feel understood. And isolated people who actually are not in contact with people may not actually feel lonely. They may be very content. So sometimes it's hard to identify the lonely person and the isolated person, but both of those are uh, certainly at risk. And then you ask about genetics. Genetics always plays a role in everything that we do, but our environmental factors, our environmental choices and our environmental exposures that are not of our choice influence genetics as well, positively or negatively. Dr. Morgan, can you say a little bit more about like the loneliness and isolation? What is the science piece behind how that's connected to your heart? So a couple of things. People who experience loneliness and isolation also tend to demonstrate aberrant or abnormal sleep patterns. And sleep is a direct contributor to heart disease. We now know that not only the duration of sleep, quality of sleep impacts the progression of heart disease. And people who have isolation and loneliness, who are able to express and identify that. These are self-identified, so we know they're probably even more than that. If we were to have a standardized survey, a standardized test, and really identify people, these are self-identified. And we know that sleep has something to do with that, and anxiety and depression, which often go along with loneliness and isolation, also negatively impact sleep. As Homo sapiens, as human beings, we are social creatures. And I think what we have learned, you know, we've learned many things from COVID. I'm just, this is just one small slice. We've learned a lot of stuff from COVID. Is that social interaction, certainly at critical periods of our lives, is incredibly important. And where we see this isolation and loneliness used to be prior to COVID, in our older population, 65, 75 years of age and older, as they've gotten older, their children have grown up and moved away. Their friends maybe have died or become more debilitated. They've retired from their jobs. Their spouses maybe have died and they're increasingly isolated with fewer and fewer resources, maybe no longer able to drive and become increasingly depressed. And depression leads to increased risk of death and increased risk of accidents. What we found with COVID is that demographic, yes, still remained vulnerable to isolation and loneliness, but now it was the demographic of 18 to 25-year-olds now. That was our number one demographic that was self-identifying isolation and loneliness, and also the impact of independence on social media to fill that void. And obviously, we increased our use of social media during COVID to increase, to maintain our social contacts and our socialization. But what we have discovered 
is that it doesn't really substitute for in-person, human-to-human interaction. And as physicians, we're starting to learn that as well, as technology in many ways has taken over our practices, how we're managing our practice, how we diagnose patients, how we may or may not implement the physical exam, because we have so many tools to do these diagnostics for us. That human touch that used to occur That connection between the patient and the physician has also been lost. And we're starting to dial that back to understand, wait a second, just coming in and putting hands on the patient and palpating and auscultating and listening and touching and pushing and probing and touching. That was part of the physical exam and part of the health of the patient such that they felt that someone cared. They felt that sense of well-being, but it also ties into us being homo sapiens and understanding social interaction more so than technological advancements as much as we are pushing them forward. So we've got to find out what that balance is. Mm, Thank you so much for that. More from our conversation after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve, and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online, 
or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. So what kinds of symptoms or experiences might we be having that would indicate to us that, hey, we might need to talk with our doctor about something going on with our heart? What should we be paying attention to? My goodness. So let's just talk about the heart. As a cardiologist, I'm just going to focus on the heart. If you are feeling short of breath, if you are having chest pain, if you are feeling lightheaded, if you have what we call diaphoresis, sudden episodes of sweating, those are probably some of the more common ones, maybe even left arm pain. Those could be signs that you may be at risk of having a heart attack and you should see your physician. Now I'm going to talk about something that we call atypical symptoms. So this term atypical, which I don't really care for because for the most part, it denotes and characterizes symptoms that a woman may have in comparison to a man. And that word atypical also tends to be interpreted and used as and understood as a deviation from normal a standard away from, not the usual, something additional to learn, not the main thing. But the fact of the matter is women are more than 51% of the population. So maybe we're actually the ones having the main symptoms and it's the men who are not. Maybe we need to relearn this. We need to unlearn it and relearn it. And it just goes to show you how male dominance, like almost everything in our culture has driven our culture, and even the lexicon of the language that we are using. And it really impacts our action. Think about seeing a patient and they're having the typical symptoms, right? What are you more likely to do as opposed to a patient who's having the atypical symptoms? How are your actions going to be different? And that impacts physicians. So, okay, I said all that. I'm going to get off my soapbox on that. You can follow me if you want to hear me just really hammer down on that. Atypical symptoms. You might have some jaw pain, right? And you may not relate that to your heart. You may think it has something to do with your teeth. You might actually go to the dentist or something. You might have some back pain. Who doesn't have back pain? Especially women as you get older and you've had children, you're running around, back pain. Or you might just have like a cold or a flu, something you just can't shape. You just can't seem to completely get over it. Or you might just be run down. Who isn't run down? Especially a woman at mid-age, who isn't just feeling run down? You have a million reasons to feel tired, to have back pain. And so because we don't recognize those as the main symptoms, they are relegated to this atypical category, then the patients and society itself doesn't recognize them. We don't, as women, we don't recognize that because we haven't been taught that, right? We're not the main priority, And doctors themselves may not recognize it. In fact, 42% of primary care physicians, when they were surveyed, admitted that they felt uncomfortable treating a woman with heart disease. And if you can believe this, 22% of cardiologists 
in the survey stated that they felt uncomfortable treating a woman with heart disease. And so that seems amazing until you really think about it. And if you think about it, most cardiologists are men. So it makes sense because these are not symptoms that we are taught to understand. And so these are all symptoms of which we need to start to think about. What about things like palpitations? Absolutely. Think about palpitations. If you start to have palpitations, don't ignore them. Make certain you see someone for it. But here's something else to think about. I'm kind of moving on into another subject. So pull me back in, rein me in. I do have some follow-up questions though. So before you go too far, so you mentioned pain in the left arm. I want to know why specifically the left arm and not like either arm. So that's an interesting question, but generally it is in the left arm and it could be just neurologically but it generally is a left arm and sometimes numbness in that left arm. Now, can it happen in the right arm? Can it happen in the right chest? Yes. Atypical, but can it happen? Yes, of course it can. Got it. And you also mentioned sudden bursts of sweating, which made Mm -hmm. me think of a conversation we had on the podcast recently around like perimenopause symptoms and menopause symptoms. So how would you know like the difference between, oh, this is like a hot flash versus like a heart concern? How would you know, Dr. Joy? This is here. Here we go. Let's have this conversation. So if you are going through perimenopause and menopause, a couple of things to think about. I was just getting ready to jump into that with palpitations. So this is a great segue. Palpitations. As you go through perimenopause, and perimenopause means that you are starting to have estrogen levels drop. You may still be having regular menstrual periods, but you are approaching a time when your menstrual periods may stop. And so perimenopause can go on for 10 years or so before you actually hit menopause. And menopause is when you have gone one full year without a menstrual cycle at all. So that's menopause. So perimenopause could be 10 or 15 years before you get there, right? And those are 10 or 15 years where your body's changing and you don't know what's going on and nobody knows what's going on. What's really happening is that your estrogen levels are gradually dropping. And we now know that estrogen has anti-inflammatory properties. And you know what I just said, that inflammation now is known as a part of progressing heart disease. We also know that estrogen has cardioprotective factors. So as your estrogen levels drop, inflammation increases, heart disease risk increases, and you also lose that protection of your heart. And so what happens is before menopause, women actually only have 50% of a risk of a heart attack of a man, only half. But by the time you reach menopause, our risk of a heart attack is equal to that of a man. And actually, by the time that we are 70, it has surpassed that of a man. And the reason I think that it has surpassed it is because of all the 25 years before when we ignored all the perimenopause and menopause and we didn't treat it and we wouldn't give menopausal hormone therapy and we thought estrogen was bad and we thought progesterone was bad and nobody had been trained on it and yada, 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 yada. So what happens is you can get palpitations, this fast beating in your chest, sensation of a fast heartbeat, just from estrogen levels dropping. But you wouldn't know that. And your physician may not know that. So you may go to the doctor, get a big workup. They can never find anything. And then what happens? You get put on an antidepressant. In fact, the prescription for antidepressants doubles in women 
during the 10 or 15 years of menopause. That is not a coincidence. That is because women come in complaining of symptoms that people don't understand. Many male physicians, you run tests, the tests are negative. There are no tests for the symptoms of menopause. And then you're just determined to be stressed out. Here, let me just give you this antidepressant. Good luck to you. You're just depressed. These symptoms are real and we need to think about them. So it's not just palpitations. And I'm not saying if you have palpitations, go straight to your physician, hopefully who's menopause certified and get your estrogen repleted or get some estrogen progesterone combination. What I am saying is see your cardiologist and after your workup is negative, if it is negative, because if it's positive, you want to do something about it. Let me be clear on that. Heart disease is still the number one killer of women. So if you're having palpitations, see a physician, get a workup. If that workup is negative, don't accept the antidepressant. If that workup is negative, now it's time to have a conversation with your physician about hormone replacement and resolution of those symptoms. The antidepressant is not the answer. So to your question about sweating, the same thing. You can have diaphoresis or sweating or in menopause, we call them hot flashes, now known as hot flushes where you get these sudden periods of getting hot, you sort of warm up inside your body and explode from the outside. So it's not from the outside coming in like the sun. It's the inside starts to cook and you start to sweat. Your internal temperature thermometer really starts to get high. And those are also symptoms of perimenopause and menopause. We now know that hot flushes The duration and the severity is also connected to heart disease and women more likely to have more severe hot flushes and suffer from them the longest are black women. So black women then also have this increased risk of heart disease just by de facto of the severity of the hot flushes and hot flashes. I'm using those terms interchangeably, but the new term is hot flushes, but I'm saying hot flashes and hot flushes just that everybody can follow along if you've never heard the term before, but we are transitioning to hot flushes. And let me just say this. They don't ask me about the terms. I had nothing to say with it. (laughs) I don't know who the body is that makes these decisions. Well, here's what I heard when I asked, why are we calling a hot flush instead of hot flash? They said a hot flash means that it's something that happens suddenly and disappears. And that's not what these are. They happen and they last sometimes for minutes and 30 minutes and you're burning up and it just goes on and on. It is not a flash and we want people to take it seriously. These are flushes, not flashes. So there's the background behind what it is. So it's being called, if you see hot flushes, you heard it here. That's what it means. It's the same thing, but we're now calling it hot flushes. So we see this more so in Black women, and we know that Black women also enter menopause about a year and a half earlier than white women for a number of reasons, which also means that further increases your risk of heart disease. Remember, prior to menopause is when your heart is protected. So the earlier you enter menopause, the sooner you remove that heart protection. So we don't actually want to go into menopause earlier, whereas it might be nice to not have to manage your menstrual cycle anymore. From a health perspective, it means that your risk of heart disease now starts sooner and starts to build over a longer period of time and is an indicator 
of your health status as well. Back to Dr. Joy's original question of how do we stay healthy? How do we know if we're healthy? The age at which you enter menopause is an indicator of that health status. Wow. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Morgan. More from our conversation after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. I do want to go there because my next question for you was a stat that we have from the American Heart Association that says among black women ages 20 and older, nearly 59 percent have cardiovascular disease. And you've already mentioned some of the menopause and like answering menopause earlier. I'm curious about any other disparities or susceptibilities that black women have related to cardiovascular disease. So 
it's complex. So I'm <laughs> going to start with... <laughs> We can't talk about the whole maternal mortality disaster that is America right now. So I'm going to talk about just a couple of slices. When a woman is pregnant of any race, if she develops any complications during that pregnancy, and the complications are very specific, if you develop something called gestational diabetes, gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, eclampsia, an older term, toxemia. If you've ever heard any of those terms with regard to your pregnancy or someone in your family or someone in, of a friend, then those are long-term indicators of heart disease. Not only do they put the baby at risk, but they're long-term indicators of heart disease for the mom. Now, the way that we used to practice, and when I say used to practice, I mean like this morning because we're still practicing this way, unfortunately. The way that we used to practice as of this morning is that the way that you treat these conditions, which is how we were all trained, the way that you treat these conditions in a pregnant female is to safely deliver the baby because once the baby is delivered, mom and baby are healthy, then that disease process regresses, goes away. It's something you see in pregnancy. So if you can deliver the baby, then everything is fine. And it doesn't mean deliver the baby early. It means that the birth of the baby is the beginning of all of those medical symptoms going away. Like those medical symptoms, the conditions were actually caused by the pregnancy. We're not trying to induce early pregnancy. What we do is manage the mom's symptoms and conditions, sometimes with hospitalization through her pregnancy. And then once the baby is born, we're like, phew, we're done. Good job. Mom's good. But now we know that what we should have done as of this morning is hand that woman off to a cardiologist. There should be a hand-to-hand referral from the OBGYN to a cardiologist because what has happened is that that woman has just declared that she has an increased risk of heart disease over her lifetime. And in fact, it'll be two times higher than a woman who doesn't have those complications. So here's the way you look at it. And this is why we have different specialties in medicine. An OBGYN, that exact same patient, looks at that patient. And this is how we all look at the patient, but now we're changing. OBGYN looks at that patient and would describe that patient as a pregnant female with a complication of gestational hypertension. A cardiologist would look at that patient and describe that patient as a volume overloaded female with a failed stress test. See the difference? A pregnancy is a woman's actual first stress test because of volume overload. If you develop any of those symptoms, you actually have failed your stress test. And just like any stress test that you fail at a doctor's office, you go straight to the cardiologist for a workup. So now a cardiologist with the lens on the same patient is not looking at a pregnant female with a complication of gestational hypertension. The cardiologist says, I see a volume overloaded female with a failed stress test. You see how two different doctors looking at the same patient, treating the patient, but treating the patient from two different lenses. So we need the whole 360 degree treatment. And now we know that delivering the baby is not the end of the story 
for the mom. And that handoff does not happen. I talk about this all the time. We're trying to socialize. I actually have written a book where there's a chapter in this book, hoping I can get it published. And you guys can actually read any number of things that go on that impact Black women, that impact women, and impact minority populations within our healthcare system. The other thing that I will say about this, just in case my book doesn't get published, I may as well just tell you guys some of the rest of it, right? Hopefully it'll get published, but if it doesn't, hey, I'm still talking about it, is that Black women are more likely to develop these pregnancy complications than white women. And here's the kicker. Black women who are born in the United States of America are more likely to develop these complications than Black women who are born outside of this country. So there is something inherent in the soil, in the fabric of being generationally here in this country that lends to this. The ongoing infrastructural struggle of survival, something that is termed the weathering effect, the constancy of high effort coping, the constancy of being forced to be agile, to survive and to navigate and to maneuver, being forced to be silent when things are working against you, but you are powerless to speak up in order to survive or for your family to survive. The ongoing struggle of the navigation of corporate America and not the glass ceiling, but the glass floor. You wish you had a glass ceiling. The glass floor is where you're trying not to fall through and get cut to shards. That weathering effect causes a shortening of the telomeres. Telomeres are the ends of chromosomes. And the ends of chromosomes, as they shorten, the body ages. And so we talk about black don't crack. That's on the outside because we're protected by melanin and we're looking good a long time. But on the inside, our age is advanced. Our biological age is more advanced than our chronologic age, regardless of what our outward appearance is because of this weathering effect. And because of the weathering effect, the shortening of the telomeres, which also impacts brain health. I know I'm kind of walking you through. Read my book. I hope it gets published. (laughs) And as we walk through this is what we see being represented in our pregnancies. And when we think about the risk factors for gestational diabetes, gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, and eclampsia, it is not by coincidence or happenstance. We rarely believe in coincidences in medicine. A poor physician is one who believes in a coincidence. It just so happens that the same risk factors for all of those pregnancy complications are the same risk factors for heart disease. So, Dr. Morgan, there are lots of screenings and tests that we typically have to have, right? Like pap smears and talking about a mammogram when you're age 40 and all of these things. Is there some kind of test or screening we should be talking with our physicians about for our hearts at a certain age? What kinds of things should we be asking for? Probably should talk about calcium scores and maybe some genetic screening, just one panel of genetic testing such that you know what it is. 
And then your calcium score, which gives you an idea of kind of your lifetime risk of heart disease. The genetic screening is a blood test. The calcium score is sort of like a CAT scan. It is more like an x-ray that you would have to do. Those are probably the two things that I would talk about. There's something that you're going to be hearing more and more and more about called LP little a. It's a very specific type of cholesterol. And if you have high levels of this LP little a, the specific type of cholesterol, it increases your risk of heart disease at an earlier and earlier and earlier age. And we believe that we're seeing more and more of that in the black population and other populations. So we're taking a close look at this LP little a. So if you have an opportunity to have that drawn, we don't have a treatment for it yet. We're working on it though. There are clinical trials underway. And I know that because I'm involved in the clinical trials in overseeing them and guiding them. So we are working on therapy for LP little a. But here's why it still could be important for you to get that drawn now. Because you may say, well, why get it drawn if you don't have any treatment for it? Why am I doing it? Because if you end up with a high level then we now can begin counseling on how you need to mitigate your risk factors and really be aggressive about it. If you're smoking, you need to quit smoking and you need to like quit smoking yesterday. Like we can start to get serious about smoking and weight loss and diabetes control and all of these because we know you now have this really elevated risk factor, this LP little a, and we also know that there's no therapy for it. So the best thing to do is to try to cut it off at the knees. And we can be super, super aggressive about that if we know you're in that category, because you do run a risk of having heart disease, heart attack at a very young age. When I say young, I mean in your thirties or twenties. So very young age, we want to be aggressive. So those are maybe some things to think about. Hopefully we'll have some good endpoints on our clinical trials and we have a therapy soon for LP little a. So stay tuned. Maybe I'll throw that in my book too. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Morgan. You have shared such incredible information with us today. Please tell us where we can stay connected with you. What's your website as well as any social media channels you'd like to share? Yeah, listen, I'm on Instagram at Dr. Jane Morgan, D-R. J-A-Y-N-E-M-O-R-G-A-N, Dr. Jane Morgan. Also, you can find me on the other social media pages, the same thing, X, Threads, TikTok, YouTube. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me at Dr. Jane Morgan. I do something pretty much on Wednesdays called the Stairwell Chronicles, where I sit on the stairs. Those are my stairs. That's my house. Those are my clothes. And I answer a single question about medicine in 60 seconds or less. Call it Wellness Wednesday. Those are my stairwell chronicles. You can follow along and listen to little pearls on Wednesdays where I give you a little bit of some pearls from the stairs and follow along there with my stairwell chronicles. I do have a website, stairwellchronicles.com or drjamemorgan.com. Feel free to go on there. You can see all of my media interviews. I was on CNN just a couple of days ago. I do media interviews all the time. I do stairwell chronicles. I've written a book that hasn't been published. Hopefully that'll be out. And we just keep trying to spread the gospel. So I keep banging the drum. I appreciate everybody who's listening and follow along. I talk menopause. I talk women. I talk minorities. I talk clinical trials. So I only talk science. (laughs) Well, thank you, Dr. Morgan. We will be sure to include all that information in our show notes. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Joy. Thank you. I'm so glad Dr. Morgan was able to share her expertise with us for this episode. To learn more about her and the work she's doing, be sure to visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 345. 
And don't forget to text two of your girls right now and tell them to check out the episode. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, visit our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the sister circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. This episode was produced by Frida Lucas, Elise Ellis, and Zaria Taylor. Editing was done by Dennison Bradford. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.